Hello, everyone, and welcome to Divide and Conquer. We're named as such because of our intent. What is our intent? Well, we are a group of sport and performance psychology consultants at Fort Polk, Louisiana. We are also contractors and fall under the Army Resilience Directorate, and you can find them on Facebook and Twitter at Army Resilience. So each episode, we pose a question or issue related to resilience and or performance enhancement that we as a group will conquer through our individual answers, and you'll find out quickly that our perspectives and stances are often divided. So we hope you enjoy our takes on today's topic rather than question, which is... Oh, actually, I should preface this. Um, So even though we do have backgrounds in sport and performance psychology, our scope is not limited to those... Well, I don't want to say limited. Anyway, I could just edit that out. Um, (laughs) I have to edit it so much anyway. Yeah, it goes beyond just the sport realm. And for the Army, we also do some academic skills training. So that... Part of that looks like how to study more efficiently, how to use your brain's natural processes in order to enhance your memory, how to reduce uh, test-taking anxiety, uh, some particular actual concrete strategies to help improve the probability of getting an answer correct on tests and essay questions alike. So with that in mind, we're going to talk a bit about some of the either strategies or habits that we use personally or have used in the past uh, that helped us get through either college, grad school, uh, any other type of like school or academic stuff that we've gone through in the past. So with that said, uh, I'm going to introduce everybody. My name is Diego, and immediately to my front, or my front, immediately in, in front of me, I don't know why I said it that way. Anyway, uh, we have Coach Jess, <laughs> who cannot contain her laughter. And then immediately to Coach Jess's right, we have Marius, a.k.a. the Griddle Master. And then to my immediate left, we have John Pine, a.k.a. the... Uh, a.k.a. John Pine. A.k.a. John Pine, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I didn't know I was doing up until this job and a lot of the... And understanding a lot of the curriculum that we use for the academic training stuff was whenever I was in a lecture or trying to study, I would automatically tie a lot of the important information that I had to memorize, that I had to know, to things that were already like safely stored in my long-term memory through like via connections. So I'm trying to give an example. So, in my grad school, one of my classes was a course on women's sport and culture, which, that title alone is pretty interesting, but a lot of the times, I would answer questions, not even to help out the professor, it was more so to solidify the information in my own head, but I didn't really realize that up until very recently that that's why I was answering questions because I'm typically not the person to raise my hand unless it's like a very small class, which that class was. And that was, and the instructor took that as like me being super interested in class, which I mean, I was, but then uh, it just seemed like I was the only person answering questions, which is kind of strange, 
considering I was one of two guys in that course, <laughs> and that course was about women. <laughs> so I thought that was a little ironic. We would talk about like a lot of the differences between how women and men's sport and sporting events, uh, sporting careers are perceived by the general public, how women's sports are marketed in particular. That was pretty interesting. I would just make connections between like that and I don't want to make this like political or anything, but between a lot of what the characteristics that were highlighted for women's sports and also a lot of the characteristics that are valued within a capitalistic system and society, because there were a lot of parallels there. And I guess it was just very easy for me to make that connection. So whenever it came time to, to write essays, because that's all we did in that course, really, it was very easy for me to incorporate a lot of existing information that I had into the new information that was asked of me to talk about, to explain in a way that was meaningful, in a way that made sense, not only to myself, but to my, I don't even know if my instructor read essays, to be honest. I don't know if any instructor reads essays anymore, since everybody has teacher's aides and graduate assistants, so. But I got good grades, so that's, I guess that what I did counted for something at the very least. But the general idea was taking new information I wanted to remember in the future and tying it to information that was already stored in my brain in a way that made sense to me and in a way that I was able to access that information when the time called for me to access that information. Hopefully the explanation makes sense. And what that does is basically utilize the brain's natural process of incorporating new information because it takes new information and makes connections with that new information based on already stored stuff that's in your head. And that's why that strategy can be useful useful for a lot of people. And that's why it, it worked for me at the very least. So that's my spiel. I think that's a great strategy, especially as we progress in life, because it's very difficult early on in school, whether it is elementary school, middle school, high school, and even in undergrad, if you go to college, that a lot of those courses aren't necessarily that relevant to our lives, right? But as we progress in our lives, whether it's a military school, whether it's just a book that you're reading for pleasure or something that you're reading because you're interested in it, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to keep making those connections to things that are actually relevant in your life. And I think it's great to highlight that strategy because that's not always obvious, an obvious thing to do, right? Even if, because if you're taking a, a course, a, a school that is tied to your job, there is still a little bit of extra effort to tie it to exactly maybe what you're doing or you want to do. And so sometimes it might seem counterintuitive to do that, but if you can go that extra step and continuously tie that stuff to what you will be doing or what you want to be doing, it's only going to reinforce that material that much better. So I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, and, and the difference between what we teach and what I did in that regard was that uh, the ideal version of what that strategy looks like is there's a lot of deliberate intent behind it, which I think Marius is what he's trying to say, and that's what the moneymaker. Um, I guess to switch gears a little bit then, um, kind of to add to your the preface that you made, uh, Diego, about what we do as a performance center, I think it's important to, well, what I immediately thought when we were doing 
academic, this kind of academic episode. Um, I thought back to the major like tests I had in my life, whether it was uh, cumulative exams for grad school, ACT, GRE, whatever it was. Um, you know, there's this moment that when you sit down and the test is put placed in front of you, you have that, a lot of people tend to have that test anxiety or that moment of panic that kind of sets in. And this is the same panic that sets in when, you know, in sports, if you're in a stressful situation, at the, like at the free throw line, or if you're, um, you have to make a certain time for a training here at the army, um, if you're an actor on stage, you know, whatever your performance context is, it is the same anxiety that's happening all the time. It's just in different domains. And one thing that I remember, I was in this ACT prep class, and which didn't actually help. I still did terrible on the ACT. Um, but something funny that the instructor always pointed out is that when you know they t they say you know begin like you're allowed to begin the actual ACT. He as the instructor, he would look around and see everyone frantically you know open the booklet, start looking around, answering questions, getting their pencils down. And he recommended to us all that as we kind of, you know, take this deep breath before we, like once they say begin, take this deep breath to level ourselves out a little bit, slow things down. And what he even encouraged was to look around at the rest of the room once that happened. And honestly, it would always make me, I, from when he said that, I would try it on all the next exams and would kind of give me this moment of humor before I started because I would just kind of look around and see everyone just panically frailing, like opening their booklet and having to write down everything that they saw. And it kind of gave me this almost like a, a chuckle before I actually started the exam itself, which reduced the anxiety that I had about the exam itself and then could tackle it at my own pace. I wish I would have done that, John. That would have been fantastic to get some. I still use it pretty regularly, yeah. actually, yeah. I could see that and we, and we do know that with that positive emotion, that lowers that anxiety for us to at least think more critically and clearly when we go into a test. So that would I was the one that was frantically opening my book, trying to make a game plan. For me, it really took until grad school to figure out how to study and how to do school right, which is unfortunate because that was, I was 26 when I got into grad school. And so that just seems late. <laughs> I was a late bloomer. Okay. One thing or a couple things that have worked for me is getting ahead of whatever it is that I need to, like whatever my end state is, if I can pre-plan. So making sure I read things up front, making sure I skim if it slides, making sure I skim the syllabus to know what I'm getting myself into. That way, whenever I get to class, whenever I get to a lecture, I already know what's coming. So then I don't have to frantically take notes. I can just be engaged and then add in a couple of things versus I've already done the legwork up front. And so then I'm way more engaged in my lectures. I'm way more engaged in conversation. And I like to try and bring in questions. So as I was reading on my own, I think there's some questions. And to Marius's point of like application, I always try and visualize how would this apply in my life? Because if I can't really answer that question or how can this apply in anyone's life, then I've potentially missed the boat or I need to ask follow-up questions to see how it is relevant for me. And that tends to help me stick kind of like what you were saying earlier, Diego, of if I can start connecting the pieces and connecting the, the dots to old information and then future me, how might that look? 
And so the, those that by itself has been really, really beneficial for me. And then just kind of chunking things day by day. If I don't wait till the last minute and if I'm pre-planned, I take 30 minutes every day, an hour every day and do a little bit. So it doesn't add up to where I, now I'm just scrambling makes all the difference. It's and maybe that's just me, but I have to do a little bit every day so I don't feel overwhelmed and it starts to sink in. And I have that review time on a daily basis. You mean you don't cram? I don't cram. No. Y'all, I'm the worst crammer in the world. If I try to cram, it literally, and this is what I used to do in undergrad. I would cram and then I would take the test. I would brain dump. I would do, I, I got great, like good grades. It was fine. But then ask me what the next semester asked me anything about what I learned and I could not tell you. The mitochondria is a powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Precisely. And then I think about all the money that I lost. I mean, granted, I got a degree out of it, and I guess that's the point. But at the same time, I didn't get the learning for my money, right? All of that money is just wasted on the fact that I took for granted that I should have been learning, could have been learning. I did not take that opportunity. So I, I regret that significantly. As a sidetrack, because we, we do that all the time anyway. I mean, it's. I think part of that is also to uh, attribute to the lack of being taught how to study in like high school and even earlier than that and it for a lot of people they don't realize how to be a much more effective studier note taker test taker up until like college and like granted you know better late than never and sometimes college is where it's most important to be the more effective note taker what have you but still i think people would find school also a lot more enjoyable if they knew how to be more deliberate and effective in the way that they approach the evaluative evaluation side of school well and that to your point i think something that i had to switch was being less outcome focused so don't worry about the grades if you're doing if you're learning and you're actually understanding the material you will get the grades and like that's a byproduct that you have to deal with and at least in the united states at least in the way that our current education system is set up is for grades and passing with a, a letter grade at the end of the semester to kind of prove if you did or did not learn, even though I think that's a terrible way to assess. So I got by with, I hit the outcomes I needed to, but I now I focus more on the process. Am I learning? Am I getting out what I need to? And that's been a, another huge help for being more successful in the ways that I've defined success. And like that that shift from being outcome focused to be more process focused, like even though it seems pretty straightforward and simple, does not necessarily mean it's going to be easy for everybody to, to adapt. And I think maybe some people might get turned off by the fact that, wow, this just this is so easy. Like, well, yeah, I'll just shift my focus. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Some people that might be easy to do for many others, including myself. That's very, it's hard to, consistently stay that way at least and it it's not we're not trying to say also that we're like the perfect uh you know study years of perfect note takers perfect test takers but a part of being process oriented is trying to identify the strategies that might work more effectively for the next time around and then also identify what we did that was effective or at least more effective than previous attempts and I think that's also a big part of what we're trying to say when it comes to being process oriented too. It's not 
it's not that you completely stop worrying about whether or not you get an A or whether or not you pass, but it's it's putting more weight on the process of getting of how you got to that A or how you got to pass. And I think it's tough, especially kind of in in college, maybe um, or in your undergrad studies. Um, some professors, you know, they just maybe have like four exams in a semester, and then you know you try and figure out what went well in your studying process last time and you didn't get a good grade on it so you think okay well do i keep any of that or do i throw it all away to try something new and there might have been things you were doing well in there and other things that you just weren't focusing properly you weren't putting the right attention on the things that needed to be done and instead of scrapping the whole process in general you could have just tweaked a couple things and had that better outcome but you kind of go into this panic mode once you get that first C and you're like oh god like I'm you know I'm not going to pass the course now I'm going to have to retake it that whole panic sets in and again when that next test comes around it only increases your test anxiety again I am far from the perfect studier and far from the perfect note taker but I would say when I was thinking about this topic and this question. It's kind of a combination of both kind of Diego, what you mentioned, the application and the review part. And something I've consistently done that I didn't realize was a good thing, but has served me very well, was annotate the stuff that I read. Um, I look back at my academic career and it's just a massive amount of reading that you have to do and somehow utilize that information. And oftentimes you don't get a lot of space to give that information, whether it's a little blurb that you have to write or even a two page essay where you're trying to utilize, you know, the 300 pages of reading that you read. And I realized since high school, I've always just been a big highlighter and, you know, take notes in the margins. And I realized I still do that today, even though I'm not really studying that much. And it's more so just reading books for my own personal knowledge, things I'm curious about. But I realized how much I like that because whether it was prepping for a test or it's just revisiting certain books, I can open up things that I've read and immediately see the things that I thought were important. I can see the notes that I took down, what stood out to me in that moment. And that's really, really helpful, Um, especially when I've noticed like certain books that I've read that are so good and I wanna keep the mindset that I've gotten while reading them, keep some of the knowledge, I can just grab it off my shelf, flip it open to any page and just read a couple of the highlights. And it almost lets me revisit that state of mind I was in when I was reading that book or reminds me of those tidbits that I found very, very useful. So that the highlighting and annotating has been huge for me personally. And then the other thing that I've realized way too late, kind of like you just that is so useful to me is trying to put things in my own words. Um, I guess that's a spin of teaching back the material that you're studying, which fortunately for us as performance experts, that's what we do for a living. But you really realize when you try to put things in your own words, you start to understand if you have a firm grasp of whatever concept. That's for sure. Yes. Um, 
And so I've kind of made it a practice for if I'm reading a book that's related to performance psychology, sports psychology, that I'll try to write something, whether it's in notes, whether it's in journal or something that I'll publish online and put it in my own words. And it's a cool challenge because you might realize while you're doing that, of like, oh, wait, I don't think I actually fully understand this. And then it forces you to kind of go back, shore it up. Or if you're doing this with another person and that person asks you a question that you hadn't thought of, it realize it, or it helps you realize what blind spots you might have about that topic, um, that fact, or whatever it might be. And so that's the two things I would suggest is highlight the stuff that you read because chances are you're probably going to want to revisit it at some point and you're making it easier for your future self to revisit. And then whatever you're trying to learn, teach it back. It's, it's studying in action. It's just shoring up what you think you know um, and really helping you be confident in the knowledge that you have. And I think something else to highlight with the teaching back portion, you don't have to be the perfect teacher to begin using that strategy because, you know, even though our jobs depend on it and that's what we get paid to do, there are still instances where we teach back to each other just to to get different perspectives, different eyes and ears on what it is we're trying to get across. But the same principle lies there as if it was somebody in college teaching back the material for a test or an essay that they have to to complete in the near future. And I think, what was it? Like, when you teach back to others on a consistent basis as a study strategy, you retain about 90% of the information that you're trying to actually remember. That's like, teaching back to other people is like the, if not one of the most effective strategies when it comes to trying to solidify the information that you want to solidify in your memory. And I think... Is it Bloom's taxonomy? That which has research to back it also suggests the same thing. I would add to that that when you're just rehearsing stuff in your mind, it's very easy to get a false sense of confidence that you understand the concept. And yes, teaching back is phenomenal. I would add that even if it's just writing it down on your notes of this is what I learned, even that process, yes, it's great to interact with another human being and try to teach them, but even just writing it down onto something that's not in your mind, not just in your thoughts, can all of a sudden expose some of those things and show you what you need, you need to shore up. And the reason I encourage that so much is then you can be a lot more confident with that material as opposed to just having it in your mind and you almost build up this false sense of confidence of I know this but then when you're actually put in that position of like oh okay now you actually have to put this in practice that will creep in because you've never done that before what I think you Diego and Marius are both talking about would be taking an active approach versus that passive approach to to your studying to your academic endeavors so what can I do that would get me engaged with the material versus trying the trying to read through things or listen to a lecture and just allow those things to just kind of 
I don't know, sink in or, or you're reactive to it versus being very proactive and deciding ahead of time kind of what, how can I get engaged with the material? How can I make it come to life? And you dictating, you being the agent in which controls your own learning, I think is a, a key takeaway that you both are talking about. I think another interesting approach to academics is based on maybe your own personality or some of your own values, if you can bring that into your studying. So for me, I like to play devil's advocate. I really like to see both sides of every coin kind of thing. And when I'm reading, I try to ask both of those questions on both sides of things. Like, okay, if, if, there's, if this person or this theorist is saying this or this um, author is saying this, what would be the opposite side of that? Could someone make an argument for the other side? And that helps me at least understand where I sit with the material, where I stand with the material. Do I d agree, disagree with them? And then it helps me to kind of sink in where I stand on certain issues. So I think that can be helpful too. Yeah, and then when you do something like trying to argue for the other side, you're forced or you're forcing yourself to engage with the material in a way that's not just reading it strictly off of a page or from your notes. So that way you had to manipulate the information in a way that makes sense to you. So that way you can either make a case or argue against that information. If the information lends itself to be, you know, used in like a debate form or something like that. Even then putting things in your own words, that's, it just seems like a super simple, straightforward, like, strategy but there's a reason why it's effective and and i i think a part of that is because you're you're forcing yourself to to wrangle with that information in a way that was diff in a way that's different than when that information was initially presented to you i think that's really difficult to do though and i we're not saying that this is easy however to john's point about testing anxiety and the, the anxiety that might come forth when you actually have to utilize this knowledge. What I would think about is, do you want to challenge yourself kind of in the short term or do you want to push off that challenge and wait until the pressure's on, there's consequences, right? So I would rather struggle with the material when I'm studying in the confines of my own sort of experience, my own environment and realize, oh, okay, I don't know this as well. That sucks. I don't feel great about myself, but I'm gonna dig in a little bit deeper, try to fix these mistakes, whatever it might be, as opposed to when I'm standing in front of group and then I have to present, well then all of a sudden the consequences are much, much higher. Or if it's an exam, the consequences much, much higher. So yes, all this stuff is hard, but Another way that you can think about it is like, would I rather struggle with this challenge right now or would I like to put it off and basically gamble on the consequences of of putting it off? And I think to like to Jess's point as well, um, you know, doing this, doing these things far on out, far out enough in advance, you can only you only have to do them for half an hour or an hour a day as opposed to two days, day, night before where you're doing it for four or five hours and you're not taking breaks and you probably haven't eaten dinner and you're just, you know, yeah, things are starting to snowball a little bit on top of you at that point. And, um, you know, that's not going to help the next day either. It, it's a half hour a day. It is more challenging because you do have to do it out farther in advance and be more deliberate with it. But I think it pays dividends in the future. 
for sure. Especially if you value that information that you're trying to study. Because that's another big thing, too. If you value it, you're going to place more importance and emphasis on it. And it'll be worth it to to actually take the time out way in advance to, to study as opposed to cramming the night or two nights beforehand. Which is not a good idea. Trust me. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. I don't advocate it. Speaking from experience. <laughs> You know, now that you said it, okay, yes. I've only had to do a, f- a few, and never again. Never again. Uh, but, so hopefully, we've maybe expanded a little bit uh, in terms of the roles that we can play within our titles as performance experts. Like, yes, we can help with increasing ACFT scores. We can help with, um, you know, qualifying more or getting higher scores whenever you qualify for uh, anything regarding weapons or stuff like that but also with academic performances because when you take a test when you write an essay when you're in a lecture that's also a performance and yeah going through a school in general there are multiple performances within that and a lot of the stuff that we talked about today is also a lot of the the materials and strategies that we teach the soldiers during those academic teaching days to speak a little bit about some of the academic uh, stuff that we do here at Fort Polk. At least we have a jump master prep program that Morgan, our, our coworker has put together and has ran, I think once or twice before. And people have definitely said that this is something that, that was very useful and helpful for them. Uh, we also do a, life mastery skill of the month and i believe in for the month of november we did i know i did at least and yeah it was just me (laughs) i was like i think morgan did it too no but it was just me because yeah i took the whole day i did a i took a whole day with two different groups and we talked about expanding your memory and a lot of it did involve what i mentioned as what personally helped me uh you know, making new connections between new information and old information in your head. And then we also, I also talked about some test-taking strategies and some other strategies to lessen the effects of test-taking anxiety. And, you know, granted, within the confines of COVID restrictions, there, there is space, you know, whether it's, if it's not next month, then it could be the month after, but there are, our opportunities at your local R2 Performance Center to to train up on some of these academic skills if that's something that's interesting to you as a listener of this podcast. With that said, um, I think it's time to sign off for this particular episode. So we all hope that you have a good, great time, and we'll see you in the next episode.